And we are live with our 66th episode of Absolute AppSec. I'm Ken Johnson at CK Tricky on Twitter, joined by my co-host Seth Law at Seth Law on Twitter. Seth, say hi. Hey, everybody. Welcome once again, uh, 66th episode. We seem to be in an every other week cadence right now because it's summer and we're super professional and yeah, basically life happens and summer happens, but uh, there's, a, there's a whole bunch to talk about this week. Uh, Ken and I actually just spent the last 10 minutes talking about stuff we probably should have been live talking about, right? Um, but uh, a shout out to Jason really quick for getting me a GitHub shirt, the first one that I've got, um, even though my co-host works at GitHub too. I'm not quite sure how that happened. Oh my <laughs> god! On Twitter, yeah, yeah. Misappropriation of company assets. That's what. That's what I'm going to call that. No, actually, Jason did a really nice thing. Yeah, he did. He he slipped it to me on the side at the local AppSec, AppSec meetup here because he's like, "Hey, you don't have one of these. Talk about it on the show." I was like, "All right, we'll do that." <laughs> Throw Ken under the bus live. That's yeah, what yeah, yeah, woohoo! That's what it's all about. Yeah, yeah. No, I know. I owe you some. I we'll get you. We talked about it before the show. I'll definitely get you a shirt. And speaking of like what we talked about before the show, it's you, you mentioned it. Like the summer, we've just been. It's been crazy. I mean, you were in Phoenix last week. Last or, week, yeah, yeah. For yeah, a long, tell people about that. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, it was good actually. I did a. Well, it was only supposed to be a 45-minute talk on uh, secure code reviews, just kind of an overview of our framework, right? Like what we do, what we teach in the course. Man, I, I think I went an hour and 45 minutes. <laughs> There's no way to do that in 50 or I know. 50 minutes. I was no just way. like, I'm, I'm sorry, guys, but it, I mean, it was very, it was very good, but it was super interesting because um, there were people at OWASP Phoenix that I know hadn't been there before. Number one. And number two were developers, right? It wasn't just your normal, hey, this is your AppSec crowd that shows up. And I know they get some of that at OWASP Phoenix. Like Joaquin does a great job down there kind of promoting. And I guess it, it it's OWASP Phoenix, but he calls it like just another security meetup or something like that, right? Um, but yeah, it was it was interesting to have developers show up. I, I mean, there was a, you know, like I probably, can't, yeah, I, not too much, but like the, like there's a, there's a lot of tech companies that are based in Phoenix that came uh, a bunch of guys that uh, do bug bounty stuff for a big financial company that's online. were there. Um, but it was really quite interesting to, 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 to talk through. I mean, one of the things that I don't think we've, we've necessarily keyed on too much is the fact that the, the, the framework that we teach and the methodology that we teach is very applicable to apps outside of just web applications, right? Um, and like, I know in some of the courses that we've taught, we've gotten some feedback on it and people are like, oh, well, you know, all you did was analyze a web application. And I'm like, yeah, because it's really easy to see what an application flow looks like in a web application. Well, but, plus that's what the course is targeting, like web app secure. Yeah. Review, at least like, from the, I mean, the majority of it is like, it's, it is about like, cause we cover a lot of different frameworks and languages just so we can show like the unifying singular principles that you can apply over and over and over again, depending on the language or framework. But yeah, like we have to kind of set it in the context of something in two days, which is like, yeah. like a web app. But yeah, I think mm -hmm. you'll probably touch on the source to sync aspect of that. Well, yeah, and, that, and that's just it, right? We we had a long discussion. Like, there was somebody there that was like a that was a QA person or had been a QA person and went back to dev, and the discussion was about, um, hey, well, couldn't like, is this applicable to analyzing some sort of an SDK, so a library that we were releasing to uh, for developers to use? And I was like, like I'm like, yes, absolutely, right? Uh, it's just that your sources are are not necessarily something that's coming from, you know, a web, a web browser. It's, it's more, Hey, this is the API call. This is the SDK that I'm exposing. If I'm going to test that as well with some sort of a unit test, I can easily trace that as the source and then identify what the sync is on the back end. It still works. Um, and I know you've analyzed stuff in this manner before, right? Not necessarily your traditional web application, but even like an API or whatever else, it's a very similar flow that we use. Uh, 
So like, I don't know how to, how to get that point across to people. Like we could analyze something like that in the course, we could, you know, modify the course. So it was just targeted to specific, Hey, this is how you do an IOT application and use that as, that as an example or an SDK. But I don't know if it's as, uh, I, I don't know. Like I, I'm, I'm trying to decide like how interesting that is as opposed to what the, you know, the different node rails or whatever. I feel like we were analyzing. We yeah, I mean, I feel like we need to add like a third day to do that, but because mm -hmm. there's no, and that's, I don't know, like that's the thing about these courses, you, like people, you have to find the balance between doing a really good job at the core things that you set out to teach and then like appeasing everybody because you can't really do that. You can, um, yeah, like I think most people are pretty happy, but yeah, once in a while you do get like the, well, we didn't cover much about IoT or whatever. And it's like, it's the same principles, but yeah, we're not gonna spend the whole time on that. We gotta focus on doing a good job at what we, at what we said we would do. Also like one cool thing that came out of your OWASP Phoenix uh, talk was that, um, I won't put his name out on air because in case he doesn't want me to, but he, he like, Somebody that was at your meetup, we talked about this. He like reached out to me, and what's cool is he's going to be at the Hacker One event uh, in Vegas, which is crap next week. But you, you let's let's not forget to to bring up Hacker Tracker and what you've been doing with that for DefCon. Um, but yeah, like it's pretty cool because this this guy's going to be at the Hacker One event. He was at your talk and had some specific questions about like doing live hacking events with hacker one which is like perfect because he's going to be at the event uh githubs we have a night i think it's friday night we're having all the hackers hack on our stuff okay I mean, it is yeah i'm playing thursday yeah I'm, it's friday night and then um yeah so that should be fun and for those who don't know what that is like basically the goal is to sort of just pay everything out in one night so like real quick the way it works is we have a bug bounty program through hacker one uh, there are other companies that do it as well. Each company who's doing a live hacking event gets their own, like it's just that company and it's for one night. So like, I think it's like Wednesday or Thursday, Friday, Saturday, or something like that, different company each night. And then they, uh, hacker one flies in their best bounty researchers and, uh, from all over. And they are, we're all in the same building facility and we, the company sit in a war room. And we like triage that night. And then um, what that means when I say triage, is like we actually pay out that night is actually is different. I shouldn't say triage. Um, we do triage like open issues for it so we can get it fixed or whatever, but um, we pay out that night. That's the, that's the main thing. So in advance of that for two weeks, we have these researchers, they're giving submissions and we're working with them. Like I'm actually, I'm taking a pause from talking to two different researchers right now to do the podcast uh, and then I'll go back to troubleshooting some stuff with them. Uh, but yeah, we like <clears throat> establish a relationship, communicate back and forth. And um, like, that's a two week workup and then it gets paid out that night so that everything gets paid out. So it's kind of cool. Like we don't have to wait until that night to hear about this stuff, but we get like all these good researchers eyes on our bounty program for like, you know, his focus period. And it's pretty cool. But anyways, like um, I was gonna have you mention Hacker Tracker. Yeah, I was gonna talk about it. It's been sucking up a lot of my time. It's, it's part of the reason that I'm just haven't very been very active, you know, Twitter, or online, you know, even in Slack channels. If you're in any of the Slack channels with me, um, but it's like you know, every year for for DefCon, that's kind of when we do the big update for Hacker Tracker uh, and. Hacker Tracker, if you're not familiar with it, I do the iOS version. That's the application that DEF CON uses for scheduling. Um, and I started doing it, what, four or five years ago because there wasn't anything out there and I got sick of hauling around the book for DEF CON. So it's just basically I wanted something that was on my phone, so I built it, right? And now, like, it's official DEF CON. I'm on the info booth, so there's all sorts of stuff that, that goes along with it. We did a big move this year from using, you know, flat JSON files on the back end, actually using Google's Firestore. So we can do, uh, you know, auto updates. Yes, I know that means you have to have your phone on to actually pull those updates down so you don't have, like, necessarily a sync like we did in the past. Um, but I think it's going to make it a lot more efficient, especially some of those changes that happen on the fly during the conference. Hey, guess what? They moved this event from, you know, Friday at 2 to Sunday at 1. Uh, you're actually going to see that live and you won't get confused. Um, the other thing, we're adding the B-Sides Las Vegas data is already in there this year as well um, as a def 
different conference. But right now, if you pull down the ILS version, there is the DEF CON like official data in there. We're loading SkyTalks and starting to add the village data over the next couple of days. I've got updates that are going out through the App Store as well, um, both on the iOS and the Android side. I work with Chris Porter on that. Um, and he, yeah, so he's working on the Android version. Whitney is somewhat involved, but not as much anymore. She's not developing the app actively anymore. She's she's working on like the blue team village or whatever at DEF CON. So um, anyway, so it, it it's moving right along. Uh, just as, you know, ends up being a lot of work to actually get it all done and get all those events loaded. And uh, yeah, we know the con's like a week and a half away. So we're about there, but yeah. So that's Hacker Tracker. Um, <laughs> if you want to talk about it, find me at, at DEF CON because, you know, by then I'll be, you know, pretty burned out, I'm sure. Entire yeah, good thing it doesn't stress around. you out or anything. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, you like have, the thing is, what what is changing it every year? Is it the data or are there just more features you're adding or, you know, like what all, because I have no idea what all, what all goes into that. Yeah, it's mostly features, right? Like the switch on the back end this year, like if you, if you do a feature comparison between last year and this year, it's mainly that back end that's changing. Um, and then the support for other conferences. So moving forward, it'll be easier for us to import new conferences and switch between them without as much, hey, we need to release a new version on the App Store. We can just load the data in easily. Um, what else? Yeah, I mean, getting things like the maps to work properly, um, you know, kind of, we've kind of rebranded, you know, every single time as far as the look and feel of the application. Yeah, like this year, I added like dynamic fonts. So like usability features, accessibility features for people like before it was, you know, hey, you know, this font's always 12 points. This year, we're using the dynamic fonts that are actually built into the operating system. So if somebody needs to, a larger font size, all they have to do is go into the OS and say, hey, I want this as a larger font size, and it all shows up bigger, just like the rest of the phone. It, stuff like that that people you know send us feature requests for. Uh, you forget how much time that takes as a developer to actually put it in and then test it, make sure that every single label and screen actually adjusts, that kind of stuff. So. Well, I'm glad you guys now support my request for Comic Sans. I'm really yeah, there you go. <laughs> the most professional of all fonts. fonts. Yep. If you want to change your dynamic font in iOS to Comic Sans, be my guest. <laughs> no, but I mean, it's a free, I mean, you're doing it for free and it's really cool that you're doing it and we wouldn't. Also, I, I think you're kind of brave because, braver than me for sure, because like, I don't, the thing is you got, so many people attending DEF CON and uh, no surprise, InfoSec's pretty picky about tech. Yeah. I mean, we're not talking about just like the security stuff, like server pinning or whatever. We're talking about just like everything. It's all, I mean, we're all pretty picky about, and like yeah. definitely, definitely picky, but also opinionated and very willing to share that opinion. So, um, yeah, well, like said, we still get we we still get the whole oh well we don't want to install this because you know right that's not from like the DefCon org like on, on the App Store or whatever and you know that they can't trust us. I'm like, dude, you can go review the code. You could build it yourself and throw it out on your phone if you wanted to. Like, I don't yeah, care. Just go to nsa.gov. Go. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> download backdoor by Seth, and you'll be like, you'll be good to go. Yeah. You know, if I was a jerk, we would do something like that, right? You know, <laughs> and, and I'd be lying if, lying if I didn't say that a part of me didn't want to, right? <laughs> you know what I mean? You, hear, hear, you heard it here first. Seth wants to spy on you for the NSA. <laughs> <laughs> but realistically, it's more yeah. like, like I said, I built it because because I wanted it on my phone, right? I didn't want to have to go yeah. to, you know, defcon.org every time and zoom in and out and all that. And those guys support us now. And actually, we're taking over info.defcon.org as well. Um, so, well, like, I mean, jokes aside, you know, that's the best. Uh, those, in my experience, are the best products are the ones you're building for yourself because um, yeah. you know exactly like what what you want to see. And then that's probably, in this case, definitely what other people want to see. So, like, that's. Yeah, pretty awesome. Yeah, yeah. So um, I, I mean, it works out. So yeah. When so when how what days? I'm going to be there Thursday, Friday, Saturday. What days are you going to be there? Yeah, I, I get in on Wednesday. Yeah, I get on on Wednesday. Um, 
but I'll be doing InfoBoost stuff Wednesday night. Um, and then, but during the con, you know, I'll float around to the info booths. Otherwise I'll be around. It's not like, I don't have a set schedule. It's more making sure that the, all the, the data feed is working for the info booths and for hacker tracker. Um, and then making changes to the schedule as appropriate as it comes down from Defcon central. So yeah, I'll be there until actually Monday. I've got some absolute AppSec t-shirts I can bring. Um, if everybody wants to stop me, I've got like a couple I think like double XL, XL, large, medium, small. I think I have all of them, um, but not like a ton of them. So if you want shirts at DEF CON, we've got yeah, some. You know what we need to is like tank tops because during the summer I could really use tank tops because it's so hot okay. here, like 95, 98 degrees. It sucks. I'm, I'm, I told you I'm going to a concert tonight and I'm just going to, I know I'm just going to be drenched in sweat for like five hours. I'm just going <laughs> to miserable yeah but, no, we, we could well i mean i think i think both of us are getting slim on t-shirts so we'll probably do another order here pretty quick and maybe you know a, a small redesign uh we got a friend that's been helping us out with the, you know, some of the graphic design elements and, yeah and i'll put his name out there on the site too amazing like hong is the seriously if you are looking for a graphic designer who is just a complete badass hit us up we know one he's awesome he's like working on like Seth said, some redesigns for us, making our site a little bit more friendly. Even the logo looks cooler, the like the logo that he's coming up with. I, I like our current logo though, but you know, he's doing a good job. He's like experimenting with some stuff. So that's pretty awesome. Um we got so much to talk about. I don't even know what we're gonna start. We've got like, well, I don't wanna I do wanna just really quickly address like that whole thing we were talking about before we started on the like the tweet okay. I sent out. So because yeah. I sent out God, let me, what did I say? Because I got hit up a lot about this. I didn't think I would get hit up this much about this tweet. Because um, I wrote, how did I write? Yeah, last night uh, I wrote, remember some of the worst human beings pretend to be some of the nicest people publicly. Be careful out there for real. Sociopaths adapt to what they perceive people want them to be. And social media is another platform for them to do it. So I got asked a few questions like, you know, anybody about anybody specific yada yada um and like i'm not gonna say i'm not gonna do that like i'm not gonna put anybody on blast the reason but like the reasoning okay let's just let me just put what i meant out there in like a better expanded thought basically like so if you've done if you've been in this industry this industry for a while if you've been on this career path for a while but also engaged like socially with a lot of you know, quote unquote, basically like speakers and community leaders and just like community projects. And so if you've, if you've been connected to enough things that are going on, like you, you hear the back and forth and you hear a lot of the stuff going on. Well, what I've noticed as a trend is like, there are some, they're like definitely some shitty people that are in every industry, not just ours, every industry, there's just shitty people out there. That's just a reality of life. But like what I noticed is that the people that um, try really hard to come off and present like a specific image of themselves and like try to, you know, they'd come off like Mr. Or Mrs. Nice Guy or whatever on social media. You like have to be, I guess you should be, you should always be, you should always, of course, be somewhat like cynical in, in the sense of like, or that doesn't sound right. More like you should be careful. It's probably a better way to say it. But um, yeah, like I guess what it all boils down to is I saw some tweets go out from one of those people uh, trying to like portray a certain image of themselves. And I was like, yeah, I know who you really are. So that's kind of fucked up and uh, really annoying and whatever. So um, that's basically what it, what it happened was like, I, I yeah, I'm not going to put out names, but I definitely have seen that. And I think it's like you see it all the time. People that are not nice people putting out that not that fake image and uh you should just be careful i guess that's what i that's what i want to say and also i learned another term by the way this is something semi-related or not really related but like i guess they could be um i heard i learned this term i don't know if it was last week or the week before called virtue signaling which oh, is you heard that before okay no, so I, I hadn't heard about that you, you want to give people an explanation yeah. what that is yeah. So I like, it's a, it's a very common thing. Okay. So 
I don't know how far down this path I want to go. Right. Um, I know, right. I, I live in Salt Lake city. Right. So there's, you know, very predominant religion that's out here. Right. And that's one of the things that's very common is this, this whole idea of virtual virtue signaling that, you know, you present yourself in a certain way to, uh, you know, to signal how virtuous you are and how much, you know, like your, your self-worth comes from actually your outward display of virtues. That's realistically what it boils down to. Right. So, Hey, I, you know, I have like, I give money to, you know, poor people or whatever it is. Right. You know, there's, there's certain aspects of, you know, the religious culture that are built around that, not necessarily coming from the, the, the religion itself, but just the community that's involved. Right. So as you're going about your, your normal day, you know, that this person is Mormon in this case, because of how they act in situations and in public. Right. Um, and so that that's exactly what it boils down to is it's like you're signaling signaling to others you, that you are virtuous because of how you act and and the things that you do how do you choose to per- portray yourself so yeah like if if anybody wants to discuss that further as far as like what that's like you know we can um, but where were you actually seeing that take place is just like online is that that where it popped well, up the virtue signaling piece I forget where I honestly don't that was like I said, a week or two ago, I was just during a discussion. I think it was because we were talking in a InfoSec Slack about, what was it about? It was something about like, oh yeah, it was, it was, so it was related to people that um, take up online, well, like not online, but like online social media wise, they take up a cause that is, I don't know, saying like promoting diversity and inclusion or like, um, you know, what was the other thing it was uh uh no i think it was mostly around dni like people but also just like general social causes or like just causes i guess i don't know but they don't really it's just it's not a real with virtue signaling specifically there it's not like it's to look like you care but not like actually do anything and just so that people get this impression of you and it all kind of i mean it's all all kind of ties into this whole like trying to create a public persona of yourself, but then people knowing what you're really like. Um, Maybe not everybody, not obviously not a lot of people, um, but you know, there are always select few who've worked with worked around enough people and enough projects and stuff. It's definitely, yeah, it's definitely come up. So uh, sorry. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Much notifications. So um, yeah, like uh, I don't know, just be careful. I, I really don't have any great tips, but I would say if you, um, you should definitely, there is this book I read. No, I was, so along those lines, as you're finding that book, right? Along those lines, I don't know. Like, I remember like that, I had that thread, eh, the Twitter thread a couple months ago where I was talking about self-care and actually like, I I don't know. Like I'm always suspicious of people that never get real, right? that always have a face on. And that, that that's kind of one of the, the indicators that you have there is, hey, somebody that's never really like portraying what it's like to be a person. I, I like that, that. That's what I have a hard time with, right? Like you, every one of us has ups and downs, right? Every one of us gets frustrated, and, you know, has bad days. And if so, someone that doesn't is extremely suspicious to me, that, that's all. Yeah. Yeah. Like totally um, what you said. Cause so repeating the same story over and over again, like super staged um, and having like the same things that you say repetitively and it's very staged is like one of the, one of the indicators of, um, you know, I don't know how to, how to being a sociopath. I don't, I don't know what a sociopathy, I don't know, but I will say uh, this book was pretty interesting. It's called the psychopath test. And uh, like, I recommend that one. Yeah, it's a good one. Actually, Mike McCabe, a good friend and who was on the show before uh, was the one who either recommended or even bought this for me. I can't remember. Anyways, it's an interesting thing because you get to learn about um, uh, just like some of the, some of the tells and also some of the just like, it's, it's just interesting because they show, they actually show like 
research wise that there is a decent percentage of CEOs who are actually psychopaths, um, which is scary, but, um, it makes sense in a, in, in the way that like, and I've always said this people that crave power, people that crave power are usually the ones that should not have power. Like they deserve it the least. If you crave it, like you just desire power. Like, yeah, that's, you probably don't deserve it because you're going to abuse it. But yeah. anyways, I, th I just think it's a, like, again, psychopath test, good book, check it out. Yeah, I just linked it, linked to it on Amazon if anybody's interested. So nice, sweet. Thanks for doing that, man. Yeah. Cool. So, anyways, that's that. Uh, what are the other things we were going to talk about? We're going to we talk about. Um, so, well, I mean, obviously, there's the Cap One data breach um, that's been really interesting to watch happen because it, it, it kind of doesn't feel like a traditional breach, you know, outside of like. I mean, I, did, I should have pulled up some of the links to actually drop through it, right? Yeah, I'm, but, I'm um, bringing it up right now so that we can, uh, like, yeah, yeah, people can read it. Yeah, I people read it too much, but I heard it was just basically an employee with elevated access or something. I don't really know. Well, that, that, that's the big question right now is how much of, like, her ability to access that data came through, I mean, it was misconfigured roles is really what it boiled, boiled down to on an S3 bucket. Um, and they were, she was able to pull back all this data. But the question is, you know, actually being able to identify that role and know to use it, if she was using Amazon privileges to actually do that, like employee privileges, and it becomes like this huge red flag to those of us that work in the industry as far as, man, if Amazon employees can dig through and actually see data and actually pull this back to identify flaws, right? Like there's a huge exposure risk there that we've trusted is not the case, right? You're trusting Amazon with all this data that it's encrypted. And you know that all these large companies have financial data and you know transaction information and your social security number. It's all in Amazon somewhere. You know that it is in some S3 bucket. And if it's not protected by them from the employees as well, uh, that's a huge blind spot that we haven't protected against, right? Um, yeah, you, you pulled up a link. Is that what you're reviewing? Yeah, I'm sorry, I'm quiet because I'm reading, but I, I've noticed throughout this Wall Street Journal, and I'm like, now I'm questioning why I linked to Wall Street Journal. <laughs> well, they keep bringing up Amazon. I'm like, well, you know, Capital One's primarily on Amazon, right? Like, I don't, I don't think that's a secret. I think Capital One might be one of their, if not the biggest customer of AWS. So it's like kind of irrelevant because that's where all their, I mean, I'm saying it's, this is a hot take, so whatever. I mean, maybe yeah. it's not, maybe it is relevant, but I, I don't think, I mean, Capital One, that's just like saying, well, their data centers got whatever. Cause yeah, all their stuff's, I don't know all their stuff, but a lot of their stuff is on AWS. So it, it, I don't, I don't know. I just, I just noticed that kept being, and they're like, well, Amazon declined to comment. Well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> of course they did. Why would that? Why are they, first of all, what were you expecting? Second of all, their uh, data center, like you have to use their stuff the way that it should be used securely. Um, how did they, because I saw punch through firewall. That's the big headline. But like, what was the actual? No, dude, it was an S3 bucket. Oh, that's <laughs> let, me, let me see if I can find Yeah, it was, it was data yeah. in an S3 bucket. And you can actually see uh, the, uh, the lady got, that got arrested and, you know, her Twitter feed is still out there. Um, and her kind of talking about some of like, there's indications of, oh, there's stuff that she's discovered that she may release, and then she did release it, and that's that's when she got pulled, you know, by law enforcement for releasing, you know, social security numbers, right? Um, see, yeah. I'm, trying, I'm trying, I'm trying to find, actually, like in one of those Slack channels, there's a lot more. You know who we need to have on the show is Houston Hopkins because Houston knows. Well, first of all, Houston does like cloud security. I think still at Capital One, and then Houston um, is probably like one of the most knowledgeable people I've ever met on AWS. And like, not just the interesting thing with Houston is Houston doesn't just have knowledge about like the basic security stuff that we all kind of know, but the like really edge casey weird stuff that I wouldn't have thought of, about like you know 
how to pivot through a network using like and cover up your tracks and all this crazy stuff that uh yeah like i don't know it's better if it comes out i'll sound stupid trying to replicate what he told me but um yeah like he's definitely got some interesting thoughts and a lot more knowledge on it than i do yeah well, well so so I, ju I just linked yeah. that yeah no definitely like i mean we should have somebody in there because i know that was some of the discussion like if you look at her twitter feed and some of her chats that have come out like she talks about how she's using tor and other things to access this data but they were able to identify her pretty quickly um, so I linked to the article from Seattle Times that's actually talking about arresting her. Um, and they're searching her home and stuff like that. Let's see, Ren, it's- Sorry, I'm not saying sweet because she got arrested. I'm saying sweet that you linked it. Yeah. Be clear. Yeah. So in June, she posted a list of files. Um, she claimed to possess and named a variety of companies, including Cap One in this case. And when someone responded to her in the post writing, don't go to jail, she responded with, you know, she wanted to get the cap one files off her server data was encrypted and she'd used a variety of tools and relays to conceal her computer's IP address. But obviously that didn't necessarily happen. Right. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And then she pushed it up to GitHub, right? July 17th. Um, or that was when someone emailed cap one and said, guess what? These files are up on GitHub. So, I mean, your, your company's in there too, right? But you guys yeah, host like everything. So, why yeah, would you know that? comment? We host stuff. So if you put stuff on there, we'll <laughs> if you um, give us files, we will, we will host them. Right? Yeah, I know. Cause That's I, pretty I've much what you do. Yeah. exactly. I've gotten like all kinds, of, we get, we definitely get, you know, people submitting that are like, Oh, I was able to upload this and that. I'm like, well, that's kind of the point, you know, we don't, we're not trying to police. Yeah. I mean, we, well, I'm not gonna get into that. <laughs> I'll just say that we host where we host files. So like if you put files up there, yeah, we're going to host them. I mean, obviously like when it becomes something where it's illegal, then yeah, that's a different case. Um, but yeah, sorry. I'm just re reading through this. It's pretty interesting um, in that it's pretty like kind of lame in the sense that this is kind of dumb. Like it's kind yeah. of a dumb thing to do. If you want my honest take, like, wow, a lot of mistakes here. Um, um, well, okay. So my favorite thing from that article is that, you know, that all that data was in GitHub, but okay. included in that same GitHub repository was her full name, uh, in the file address and also a copy of her resume. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Wow. Oh, that's amazing. So yeah. Anyway. Oh, wow. So, so I like, and, but the thing is, is like, it's out there now, right? All that data it's, you know, it was on, you know, there, we, I mean, I don't know if GitHub's, you know, doing any sort of forensic analysis on who's pulled that data down or if that was even like, that's out of my purview. I'm pretty sure that's out of your purview as far as incident yeah, response yeah, goes. Yeah. And yeah. Um, I don't do so, so I have no idea. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure there's going to be some like, again, you know, breach insurance is going to kick in because that's what happens when this, when the data gets out. Um, and again, it's just another, like when, when someone asks you about it, like, I mean, what do you recommend when, you know, you're like mom or whoever else comes and says, oh, I got this notification that my data was breached. What oh yeah. Say? For like, so I have a free, I'm going to plug Chase Bank real quick. I don't know why, but I'm going to plug them. Um, Chase.com. If you're listening, <laughs> stuff, please like money. Um, <laughs> I love money. No, um, so chase.com offers a free credit report. And that's what I recommend to my, I'm like, if you, if you're a bank, cause a lot of banks now are, have wisened up to that, like that they should do that so that people don't. Yeah. yeah. Don't. And then, and then if they do, they can nip it in the butt early. It saves everybody some time. So they're like, most places are putting out free credit scores that are updated weekly. So I actually do that and I do check it. I do check it out at least once a week, sometimes every other week, but yeah, I check it because um, it'll show if any new inquiries have been made on your name, like all that kind of stuff. So that's what I say is just keep an eye on it because uh, if be concerned, if you see somebody sending you emails for free credit checking stuff, don't please don't click on those. Please don't do that. Uh, yeah. 
I mean, I don't think our listeners would, but I don't know if somebody found this video on YouTube randomly. If you take one thing away, don't, don't click on random crap that comes into your email inbox. Got it. Yeah. I think, I feel like we should title this episode, like life advice from Seth and Ken. Be wary of mean people who pretend to be nice and also check your credit score. <laughs> don't, don't click on random crap. That, that That's probably good. We'll start a general series, right? You know. I don't know. I'm looking at Kevin Cody on that one, right? I'm going to call him out, you know, clicking on stuff, giving away his GitHub credentials or forgetting them. Should we say? No, I'm just kidding. Get a yearly physical and also <laughs> go to the dentist for your teeth cleanings regularly. So while we're at it. Wow. <laughs> going full, like just dad on us, aren't you? <laughs> I know, right? I'm going to go dad mode today. That's how this is going to go. Um, I don't know, like the the the, the thing with the S three buckets, it's just becoming so annoying because, like, I don't understand why this is not why is this still happening. I don't. That's what I really don't get is why is this still a thing? There are so many protections around. And, and, and okay, so to be fair to Cap One in this case, right? It wasn't just completely open, right? There was one role that you know for some reason the WAF like had full like bigger or greater access to pull data back from the S3 bucket. So it wasn't just publicly accessible and wide open. It was attached to a specific role that, you know, when you're coming through CloudFront, I, this is this is my take on it, right? Like I, I don't understand exactly how they actually implemented everything. Um, but when you were going through like the, the you know, the load balancer, CloudFront, it was assigned to that role and you could actually have elevated access. So it wasn't that the bucket had like the policy on it was different or was was greater than it probably should have been, but it was the one role that was coming in had elevated access. And so without actually scanning and looking from the perspective of the person coming through the CloudFront and looking at that bucket, you probably wouldn't necessarily have seen it. So again, you know, that's why we do things like scanning and why we do assessments on applications is to find flaws like this, right? Um, so obviously there's a flaw there that they should have seen and it was exposed for longer than it should have been, but it wasn't the, hey, I just stood up an S3 bucket and then unencrypted stored a bunch of public data on it or private data. There were some other uh, conditions that existed. So, Okay. So it's not like, all right, because I, I get sick of hearing about it. It's like open S3 buckets. I'm like, you know, you can fix that. Okay. But that yeah. makes sense. Just a, a role that's attached to it. Okay. That is. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So if, right. if you dig through some of the documentation, you'll see reference to the, you know, the WAF role or something like that. And so that that's kind of like what I, I'm gleaning out of it in the, you know, as I've been following the story, I, I, I feel like that's kind of what's going on behind the scenes, but they, they will probably never know for sure unless Cap1 decides to come out and give us kind of a, a full postmortem on it, um, which could be the case. I, you know, I know they're pretty you know, progressive in that space. So we'll see. The one thing I like about that story, though, is that, it, you know, it, you, we, I feel like we focus a lot on external threats and sometimes miss the whole insider threat portion of our jobs. And like, this is one of those situations that reminds you and also gives you kind of good, like, I don't know, publicity for if you wanted to advocate for, you know, more hardening of internal or sorry, hardening against insider threats. <clears throat> There's one positive that maybe you could take away from this, I guess. I mean, yeah. I know she, she was a contractor, but like, yeah, I don't know. That's to me an insider. Yeah. Oh, it is. It is. I mean, it's, it's somebody that has elevated access because of or an elevated understanding of the platform because they are trusted by the company, like by the provider that you... I don't know. It's like, it's a hard threat to protect against. It really is because I, I, we, we both worked at companies. We know that being an insider, you have elevated access and you have a, you know, a better understanding of where those flaws exist because you're seeing them on a daily basis. Um, that's where most of the breaches come from. Is that, is that insider threat? It just is. Yep. And speaking of insider threats, I that, yeah, that's a good segue, right? 
Yeah, yeah. We're getting good. We're getting better at that. We're gonna get good words, Seth. We're good, we're, good, good words. we're gonna learn. We're gonna learn good. We're gonna learn good. Um we yeah, we uh we posted a link here, malicious code in the pure which you brought this up. I actually forgot about this, but you said it said it was last week, but I do remember seeing this and it was super interesting because like well, I, I don't know if you want to go into the background before we analyze it. I've, you've been going, you've been doing so well talking about the background of these things. So if you want to continue that trend. Well, I, I mean, it was basically from that article that you posted that I, that I pulled it up. Right. So there's this, and, and I'm not super familiar with the pure script NPM installer. So yeah, me either. I've never used pure script at all. And yeah, like I don't, I've never had a reason to that I can think of. Yeah. But it's it's relevant because we've had, I mean, we talked about it with Adam a couple of weeks ago, um, like how we've got this threat of uh, dependency takeover, right? So within our applications, we build and we depend on frameworks and you know libraries and other things to actually make our custom application. And if somebody takes over one of those dependencies, and loads malicious data into it or malicious instructions, a lot of times we won't know as developers that that actually happens. And so it seems that every week or every other week, especially in the node environment, there's another one that we hear about. So in this case, it's the um, pure, yeah, there's, so there's a pure script compiler. And maybe we should look up what pure script actually does before we do <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's, there's an installer for pure script that um, was changed so it didn't install correctly. To me, it sounds like a pissing match between the current maintainer and the former maintainer, but like, I don't know. So, cause it's backing up, there was this original, I'm not gonna put their name out there. You can see it in the article. Yeah. The original author of the pure script NPM installer. Um, and up until a month ago was a maintainer uh, kind of stepped away. Um, there were, there was like a few other people who stepped in and, um, there as, as it is the case with freaking every NPM library it requires multiple other libraries. So basically the multiple other libraries, um, that were still under the original author's account, NPM account specifically, um, had been modified so that they basically made the npm installer or sorry the pure script npm installer uh, binary fail to actually install and uh -huh. yeah like that's that's basically the gist now their uh, npm's statement because npm like when i originally read this npm had not responded so now this i'll just read theirs which is probably i mean for all we know it's adam who was just on two weeks ago but anyways yeah. i'm not saying that is the case so the maintainer of rate map and load from CWD or MPM has replied and informed us that they had not published the packages and feared that their account had been compromised, which is completely possible. We have removed rate map uh, 1.0.3 and load from C CWD or MPM 3.0.2 from the registry. The maintainer also published install pure script CLI at zero point. Well, I'm not going to whatever whose dependencies are pinned to load from another library and rate map. This was done to prevent pure script from installing malicious versions of load from CWD or NPM and rate map. So the pure script installer has their dependencies pinned to load from the malicious versions, right? Yeah. That's, well, yeah. Because they yeah, are because yeah, there's specific versions yeah. of pure of the pure script installer that load those malicious versions that have been taken over, right? So the, the 3.0.2 was the malicious one. So they actually pinned to a lesser minor version 3.0.1 for load from CWD or NPM. A rate map got a ver minor version bump to 1.0.2. and Or no, actually, sorry, sorry. Got that also. So they went back a minor version and pinned to that, the backwards minor version on both those NPM modules and then just like removed the latest versions, I guess, from the registry. Yeah. It's just interesting, right? Like, again, it was somebody added dependencies. Like, they gained access to his NPM account. That's that's the claim, right? So it wasn't me. It was, you know, somebody else hacked my account, added some malicious code, 
and then it got dropped because the that code was dependent upon by a dependency, right? Like I don't know, and that came up actually at OWASP Phoenix as well. Is this this whole fact that hey, you know, what was it? Adam said what ninety six, ninety seven percent of our code is actually not written by us; it's written by somebody else. Yeah, and, which, yeah. I mean, yeah. I know Adam on the when he came on, he was like, "Well, you probably have bigger issues than that, but still, it doesn't mean that people aren't." I mean, if it came off of your OWASP Phoenix event, it doesn't mean that like everybody else sees it that way. It's clearly a concern to yeah. AppSec folks to have these libraries that are. I mean, in this case, it wasn't like Bitcoin mining or anything, or like giving you back doors to the systems, but it could be. I mean, yeah. this is just the avenue they chose, is like which. And that, that's why it seems kind of suspect that it's like, oh, somebody else uploaded that. Because if somebody gains access to a popular NPM module, there's more to be gained financially or notoriety or whatever, like wise than making the installers not install. Yeah, to, to break the installers. I mean, a denial of service attack. Okay, so that goes back to I mean, initially like, hacking on the web was more hacktivism focused, yeah. right? Like it was, hey, I was a script kitty and I like defaced someone's website and like, woohoo, we're so cool. And then they move on, right? That was that was kind of it. And that, that, that's what this more feels like is, oh, a denial of service attack in this case, you break an installer, all right, you know. But again, they didn't like, there's not a lot of notoriety involved with that outside of, I guess we're talking about it, but um someone must really hate pure script though they're like Fuck yeah. pure script. exactly oh now <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's a weird thing to be like but i don't know maybe they just have a beef with pure script then who knows yeah i mean maybe, maybe they were moving towards the direction of installing some sort of bitcoin miner or some coin mining instead but like they just screwed it up right but it also makes, makes me super suspicious about the like the ecosystem in general and not that like I'm not just saying like the node NPM ecosystem. I mean, like how we build software. Uh, again, it's so difficult to actually know what's going on there and what, like we don't audit all of that software. Like from a secure code review perspective, like as a consultant, I know we don't, right? Like, right. like if I'm given an application, my scope is so, so much, so defined to this is the code that we've written. I don't have time to jump into the, you know, any of the NPM modules behind behind the scenes. I just don't. And there's no way that I can audit all those. So we're trusting that somebody else is looking at them, but that most likely isn't the case. Yeah. I mean, and, right? Like I, someone brought up that they could, cause the, the so the NPM and you, you said, you're like, oh, well, it's not just NPM and you're right. And actually one thing with NPM is they actually have a security team dedicated, but like, you know, to, to handling this stuff and they do handle this stuff in a timely manner, but the, um, it's always kind of a reactive game. And then to be proactive, that's a difficult thing. Like one of the suggestions I heard was to put, I think it was to, to check if a different, if it was coming, if uploads came from a different IP than normally uploaded from. But I think that's, that's a really difficult cat and mouse game. And, you know, like I travel, you travel, we, I mean, we fly, I mean, I'm flying next week. I flew out a couple of weeks. You, when you travel a lot, you know, you're, that's going to change. And I think that that's probably, especially for some of these maintainers who travel to like speak and stuff like that at conferences, <clears throat> that metric alone isn't enough. I don't really know what all you could sort of tie together. You could probably fingerprint maybe the, the like the activity, the machines, maybe. I, I just, I don't know. Like it's, it's a really difficult problem to solve to be proactive. Reactive is like well, you just be pretty timely and quick, quick with the, you know, quick with that. But yeah, and, I mean, and that's right where like proactive, yeah, and that, that's exactly what you're saying. Like that's what's nice about like the Node team in this case, right? So Adam and those guys is they something like this happens and they jump right on it and they're like, hey, well, we can fix this if we pin to this version for you know any of the you know any of the pure script packages that people are installing from here on, you know if they are installing that old version and then recommend that people stick to this version or higher going forward, right? It's 
like it's a fairly easy fix from their perspective to lock to specific packages. I think it's a lot more difficult when we move to some of those other ecosystems that aren't as mature, right? Or don't have an Adam and team to actually perform that sort of analysis or perform perform that sort of uh, mitigation. So it means that it's on the developers themselves to actually notice that number one, hey, are you monitoring all the feeds that come out of your package repository and like all the you know, vulnerabilities exist there. And then number two, go about those mitigations in a in a practical manner that doesn't actually break functionality of your application. That's a difficult, difficult problem to solve. And like, I, I know we've talked about this before that there's no there's no silver bullet there outside of spending time. I, I know that we could do something with machine learning and actually looking at those patterns that are involved with packages as they're pushed, but it may or may not actually work, right? without a person being involved. Yeah, because if you start blocking and you get the right, the wrong, like just the, the right scenario gets set up that you're blocking the wrong person, then it's, then that's also, I, I mean, enjoy when Twitter blows up because that's, you know, you're gonna hear about it. So it's, it's, it's just such a difficult problem to, to handle. But let me say, let me say, by the way, it feels good to be back talking to you about AppSec stuff. It feels like yeah. it's been so long, so it's been- I know. I miss this. It's nice to be back. Because, <laughs> uh, you know, like we said, I've been traveling a lot and summer is crazy. Summer is such a shit show. I have a, I don't know, like on that note, I don't know if everybody else experiences this, but you know, you work from home. I work from home. Like I have only one kid. You have three, but my son is the light of my life. He's the best thing in my life. But he needs to but, go. Well, yeah. Oh man, this is just killing me. Like the constant. Like he he's been pretty good about staying out of my office, but man, like I'm definitely working from home and having a small child around. That is no easy feat. Just so y'all know. Yes, yes. I mean, we could talk about that too, right? Yeah. Obviously, well, my, brother, my brother lives in Phoenix, and he's got three kids, and he said that for them, it's the weirdest thing. Like they get. So they get um, two weeks off every, like, I don't know, every, when it's not semester, whatever, it's quarter, I don't know, whatever. It's not quite a quarter, but, you know, like every two months. Every school break, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Their breaks are like two, we don't get that much here in Virginia. We get like maybe a week, but they get a couple of weeks and, um, and then even longer for Christmas time or holiday Period. So it sounds like, yeah, they're on like a year round schedule then. Is that what Yeah, it but is? they go back to school in July. Dude, it's 110 degrees out. I mean, if you look it up right now, it's probably 110 degrees in Phoenix right now, and they're going back to school. I'm just like, that is, they went, so my nephews went back to school, yeah, this week. That's kind of, I don't know, that seems a little too, or was it last week? I don't know, whatever, but it was recent. And I'm just like, man, that seems crazy. But now you're wishing that you're, yeah. Yeah, now I'm like, oh, that sounds that sounds delicious. <laughs> it sounds delicious. July. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds amazing. Um, no, but I, I love them. It's just, you know, when you work from home, you have different challenges. I don't have to commute, but, you know, I do get to hear plenty of noise in the house. Yeah. Yep. Cool. Well, there was one more item, like, before we wrap up this week. I'm not sure how long we've been going, but whatever. Um, so... Project Zero from Google. Oh, God. Yeah, here we go. Okay, so, like, we've had this discussion a couple of times about, like, uh, like notifications, like, uh, oh, exploit notifications, vulnerability notifications. Um, and Project Zero, obviously, from Google, that's the security research team that's there. They come out with a lot of great stuff, right? Uh, they're doing a lot of interesting attacks against all sorts of platforms, but they really, really seem to love iOS. <laughs> so, which makes sense. I mean, I everybody why. has an iPhone, I, and, but it's also, if there any reasons why though, Seth? I don't know. I mean, if you had your own platform and we're selling phones based on that platform and attacking the opposing platform and finding vulnerabilities there, that may seem a little suspicious or you may have ulterior motives, maybe not, but it really feels like that if you look at the number of vulnerabilities they find in iOS. Anyway, so they're improving the ecosystem, right? Let's, let's just stay there. Um, 
like they came out and there's actually going to be a talk in black at Black Hat in a couple of weeks, and I'll link the the actual Project Zero post. Um, let's see, drop it in here really quick. Ooh, yeah, there we go. Um, so the interesting thing with this one, I, I mean, they, they're basically figured out, I think there's like six different or seven different ways to basically root or jailbreak or own an iOS device. So an iPhone use without interaction. So this is all going through messages, iMessages, basically. Um, they can inject content and you know take over a machine or read data off of it based on this. And I know their proof of concept that you have in there is just a simple example. So, oh, look, we can get access to Springboard or whatever. But I think the talk itself is going to focus more on, hey, guess what? We can send this message to your phone and just access data or take over your phone, period. Boom. And you're done. So it's a, it's a pretty awesome vulnerability if we talk about it like in terms of hey we've you know we found this other attack surface i'm sure apple is is patching it fairly quickly but the other thing that was interesting to me once again is like the researchers themselves forcing disclosure deadlines on companies um, so if you see within that message that we posted it, one of the first thing that's that's there is this bug is subject to a 90-day disclosure deadline so after 90 days or a patch has been made, right, broadly available, the bug report will become visible to the public. So again, and I know Apple will follow this because they're Apple and they're, they're used to these vulnerabilities as they're coming out and being reported to them. And it's, it's obviously a critical vulnerability. They're going to patch it as quickly as possible. But like, I don't know, like, I don't know where this line is, right, it, that hey, as a researcher, I can go to a company and basically hold them hostage because that's what it feels like saying, hey, if you don't, you know, I'm going to release this in 90 days. And if you don't have your crap together, I don't really care. I'm still going to release it in 90 days. I, I, I mean, I don't know if you guys get that. Like you're dealing with bug bounties though. So you're going to, you get to kind of like focus that, I guess, or at least like have some input into it. Um, yeah, I mean, so for us, we've got like a big disclaimer. And I'm, oh my gosh, why is my font so big? Look, I, this is like the jitterbug for Adam. It's like, my font is huge. I don't know if anybody knows what the jitterbug is. It's a huge phone yeah. for people with some eyesight issues, typically older people. Anyways, um, yeah, sorry. What was your question? You said, uh, so, so oh, you're just like, 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 yeah, like scenarios. Yeah. Yeah, like public disclosure of, of bugs. No, because in our, um, and if I seem a little out of it, it's just because I'm actually reading the code uh, from that fileback.zip that you, uh, the link you posted, there's a fileback.zip that you can download, which is the proof of concept where you just put like the target's phone number in there and then you can like send them a text. Anyways, I'm just looking at the Python code, but to your question on our, on our if you go to like our actual bounty uh, page, we put specifically like, don't like disclosure like that's off limits, right? Like you're not, <clears throat> if you're submitting and we're paying you money, like follow the, the legal process. So that's from, that's what I see is like from a bounty perspective, um, we get submissions in and nobody's ever been like, oh, you have X amount of days to fix or I'll, you know, tattle or whatever. Like it's, it's never like that. Plus also for us, when we get something in, like if, especially if it's serious, like we, you know, it's, it's all happening really quickly, really quickly. So um, there's no, I mean, we're not going to hit 90 days. But anyways, like, uh, yeah, people don't do that to us through the bug body program, but I don't know if they do that. Like, I don't know. I've never, I haven't, since I've been there, I've not seen that. So maybe we've just been lucky or maybe it's because of the legal wording on our bounty side or something like that. I don't know. Or maybe just, also, this is the other, this is the other thing. And I'm not saying that like, just because you're nice, people won't be jerks, but I do feel like we go out of our way to try and foster relationships with people and to pay them well and to um, be communicative and just, you know, in general, like foster good relationships. So I don't know if that also factors into it. It can't hurt. I don't know. Yeah. 
Yeah, like, well, especially with iOS. I mean, I know Apple has their bug bounty program and, you know, Project Zero is probably in on that as well. Just always feels like it, it, it seems, from a disclosure perspective, it just always seems so... Like if you don't have a bug bounty, somebody can come in and uh, like force you, force your hand, which is good from a security perspective. But it also, I like it always kind of feels like blackmail to me, right? It, like it does, like oh. honestly. You know, like if you, don't, if you don't have a security program, somebody comes in and is like, hey, guess what? You have 30 days to fix this or I'm going to tell everybody about it. You're like, whoa, like crap, right? Like we can't get a feature out in six months, right? And I know that's that's an organizational problem if that's the case with your org, but it still is, holy crap, like we're being held hostage by someone on the internet who we may or may not know and could drop this at any time if oh, we don't do what they want. And then as in addition to that, right, they may start demanding money and other things, right? Like the, the process around bug disclosure and bug payments. Like I feel like bug bounty has gone a long way to alleviating a lot of that for most companies, but there still is a handful of companies that are out there or probably the majority of the companies that don't run some sort of bug bounty program. And so the researchers that come in and find this stuff aren't necessarily tied to any sort of non-disclosure agreement or anything like that. So yeah, sorry, you were looking at something else. What were you jumping into? No, Jason made a good point, and I actually forgot about this. Jason mentioned that we, we, we didn't get through the regular bounty program like through the website, but we did get an email, and I think it's happened twice. Now that now that Jason mentions it, I kind of forgot about this. We have twice since we have, I've been there gotten like someone that says I've got a serious phone. If you pay me X amount of money, then like. I'll re- tell you what the vuln is. And so, yeah, I don't negotiate with terrorists. No, I mean, it's it's like they send that and want someone to send them money and then we don't know what the vuln is. That's not how bug bounty works. So, yeah, you can imagine that's not something we really uh, ever respond to well. So. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it, it wouldn't be, right? Like, yeah, I, I don't know. So, like, I, I realize that I'm talking about Google and Apple here, right? Right. And so it, it, these are companies that have established patterns, and they, they go about doing this. But anytime that I see that sort of a disclosure, like on a you know bug report or on a on a submission, it feels very. I don't know how to say it. Like it's slimy, I guess, to me, right? Like it, it feels very forced. And like, you're trying to impose your own processes on, you know, what I have to do. And it, yeah, like, I I think as researchers, we just need to be very careful about that and very sensitive to it. Like, if you want to work, like if I want to work with GitHub or I want to work with Apple, I'm going to fit into their process, however it works. I'm not going to come in and basically be like, hey, you have 30 days to do this. Like, and maybe that's just me because that's not, like, that's not my main source of income or something along those lines. Um, but if I'm looking for income from bug bounties, I'm going to be working with companies that actually have bug bounties that pay out, right? Rather than there's this fly by night company that has an open S3 bucket. And I'm going to try and take advantage of the fact they have an open S3 bucket to get more money out of them. That, that does feel a a little bit non, non non-friendly, I guess is all I can say. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, we'll, the thing is, if you have a good volume, we'll pay a ton of money. And most companies that are running bounty programs pay pretty well. I mean, I don't know. Like, I, that's a blanket statement. I don't, whatever. I've had the feeling from what I've seen that some some of the bigger programs I've seen that they pay well. I know not everybody does. Um, but for us, yeah, like, and I'm sure Apple and Google, if you find good stuff, I'm sure that they'll yeah. pay well. I mean, yeah. So if you have something real, just submit it. Don't try and hold people hostage because that's just ridiculous. You're not going to get anything for that. Yeah. And um, and you're going to, yeah, you're going to get a bad name too, right? That's yeah. that's the other thing, right? Like realistically. So. Yeah, I don't need to pay you $30,000 to find out that you like caught that we don't have an HTTP only flag or something. <laughs> what? <laughs> I'm going to submit that. <laughs> P0, highest priority. No, <laughs> like, yeah, just submit your... Some, some yeah. 
get, cool. get, get paid. Yeah, exactly. Sweet. Um, well, we've been going for over an hour again, as usual. Um, I was cranky uh, when we started, or not, sorry, when we started, but I was cranky this morning. Yeah, not when we started, but I was definitely cranky. I definitely woke up a little cranky this morning. I was tired and I had to get up early. And Surprisingly, yoga did not make me feel better. It actually made me more annoyed because it was a different instructor. She was like yelling at us instead of being calm. Anyways, whatever. Like, I just want to say now after you've done this podcast, I feel like a million times better for what it's worth. Sweet. Well, I'm glad I can be your therapist. That's, that's yeah. what it's all about. <laughs> You're my infosec therapist. Well, you are the like infosec dad, right? Like that's uh, uh, screw you. <laughs> that's yeah. what, hey, that's not what I called you. That's what in, th- in front of thousands of people you got called at DefCon. So <laughs> that's true. That, that, that was uh, I'm going to blame Kevin Cody for that forever, right? You know that one picture of me and Chris and Whitney. <laughs> Man, should never have let him take that picture. Dang it, or posted it. Whatever. <laughs> uh, yeah. Sweet. Well, you, All right. Yeah. You fit the bill. You do look like him. I mean, thanks, man. Appreciate yeah. that. <laughs> and that's a, that's a compliment when someone says you look like a Hollywood actor, you should feel good. Well, I mean, yeah. I guess depending on the Hollywood actor, but most Hollywood actors, right? Yeah. 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 Take it as a compliment. All right. We'll take it as a compliment. I'll take back my, you know, finger to you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, I think we've got uh, more episodes coming up. Uh, Ken and I will be at Global AppSec DC. Um, Giving training in Melbourne? Yeah. AppSec Day. Uh, also Black Hat Europe. Uh, we'll be at DEF CON. If anybody wants to reach out, join us on our Slack channel. I know we've been a little quiet there, but we'll, we'll expect activity to pick up as we, you know, as some of this other stuff falls down or gets completed for us. Um, and as always, you know, we're here if someone wants to chat about life and needs, you know, Ken's advice on, you know, going to the dentist or whatever. So lots every day, twice a day. There you go. All right. Here first. You definitely should. Um, yeah. Anything else, man? Nope. Just, um, happy to be back. Uh, and yeah, like, Oh yeah, actually next Wait, no, not next. Uh, no, sorry. Thirteenth. Yeah, we have Jerry Gamblin rejoining us on the podcast to do a special recap of DefCon and Black Hat, as well as talk about some of the one specific thing that Jerry's been up to, which I'm really excited. I know you are too to talk to Jerry about. Um, and then we've got some other. I finally got off my ass and started like scheduling people so we've we're got a good lineup coming so we're back in i want to say we're pretty much back in the swing of things we'll be really back in the swing of things uh in august so yeah yep cool all right well thanks everybody for joining today and catch us online we'll talk soon thank you